Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Hey, man, I think you dropped this USB drive. I know you don't know me, but I work with your boss and he really, really needs you to send me this data like immediately because I'm going to be in a lot of trouble because I didn't do it before I left work today. These are some somewhat stereotypical scams that social engineers use when attempting to use the human element to gain access into a system. In this episode, we look at the different types of social engineering attacks and best practices for protecting yourself and your organization. But before we get started, Will, what's been attacking you lately? Linux audio. See how I set you up for that? <laughs> yeah. So actually, you know, it, it occurred to me as, as I was you know, going through this, I'm like, you know, I'm really vulnerable to a social engineering scam right now. Because, you know, this will fix your, you know, the way your doll works with Ubuntu Studio. <laughs> Somebody handed me a script. That could have happened. Got, started getting pretty desperate there. But we are recording on Linux. Everything appears to be working uh, significantly easier than I made the problem. That's normal with you. Yeah, well, it's normal with, with Linux. Because, like, back in the day, the audio setup stuff was was pretty gnarly. And so you find old tutorials that are like, here's how you set the sample rate. For, for Jack or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you do it that way. But if you're in Ubuntu Studio, they've got a GUI. It takes care of all the other weird edge cases and stuff. And so you you don't have to do all that. So yeah, I'm mildly irritated. But hey, we're recording. It, it appears to be working. So yeah, that's, that's pretty good for me. So how about you? So I have been uh, playing with chat GPT lately. Honestly, I got to say it's uh, better at Gatsby than Gatsby especially the help files, because, oh my goodness, they have a lot of really old information that is pretty much useless in there because none of what they have in there works because it's completely changed since that was written. It makes me understand the necessity of updating your help documentation on a regular basis uh, going through Gatsby stuff. But ChatGPT is amazing. I uh, It has already after just using it yesterday evening, saved me, what did I say earlier, about three days worth of work uh, trying to figure some stuff out. It solved three problems I, I had been struggling with that I'm like, this is going to take about three days to figure out trial and error wise. So the code it generated, I probably wouldn't use it in production, but it's about like Stack Overflow code. Without somebody saying the question's irrelevant. Right, right. Yeah, like yeah. all those people are out of a job. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. But I've been looking into it. I uh, started looking into it for kind of work stuff. We're doing our, our lab days right now. And so I was like, hey, I keep hearing about this code generation stuff. Like, how can we use it to our advantage? And it's pretty good at like filtering through a lot of junk and getting, like I said, not production quality code, but Stack Overflow quality code that has the right answer. And you can use that to build production quality code. Nice. Yeah, so you're using it kind of like a rubber duck. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of rubber ducking, 
it actually helped me write this outline. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, I, uh, I fed it a few of our previous outlines and said, hey, write an outline on this topic. And uh, about four, I think, yeah, four iterations came up with something pretty close to what we're using. I took that information and uh, then put it into our format. It wasn't quite properly formatted for what we do, but uh, it did save me probably about an hour worth of research going through and looking stuff up because it had all that and had all like it had filtered out all the junk and it just had the pertinent information there for me. Yeah. And I think just to, just to kind of for the listeners, a little bit of inside baseball, like when we, when we do research for this podcast, it is very, very common to have to go through five, 10, 15 or more uh, websites to find mm-hmm. everything and to to get good explanations for things and, and all that because there is so much junk and blog spam. Yeah. And just something that cuts through that. Like, it doesn't have to write it for you. No. No, it it, it basically gave me the, the information I needed to write the outline. And like I said, it's, I think I described it once as Google on steroids. Yeah, well, Google as Google should have been. Yeah. The thing is, it's, it's not Google's fault. Google Google gets you to the sites. It's just... Well, people responded to incentives, which makes me wonder what they're going to do with ChatGPT if they can game that yeah. at some, some level. I'm sure there's somebody working on that. But like right now, yeah. it's the early days. Yeah, it's, it's the good days. And so I'm using it to my advantage while I can. That said, uh, it like I said, it didn't write the outline per se. It just sort of it got the information for me to to create the outline made made that whole process so much easier. But if you're familiar with the uh, with recipe blogs, yeah, a lot of times that's what it's like looking for information for our outlines is you read like this person's entire life story. Yeah. And then you get one line of information at the end of it that you can use in in the outline. And so, yeah, it it just takes a long time to filter through all that. And having a tool that can do that filtering and get me the pertinent information, like even Wikipedia isn't like it has a lot of superfluous information. Not that it's not important. It's just superfluous for our purposes. Yeah, for what we're asking for. I mean, it's somewhat equivalent, I think, to hiring somebody to go and, and collect the information for you and just act as a human filter. Yeah, it is. So, who knows? Maybe we'll have something uh, something fun with ChatGPT in the future. I've just been playing around with it and was like, hey, how can I use this to my advantage? And so, absolutely did. Saving money is hard, especially when you fight with Linux audio and almost buy a Mac. Wow, that is true. He did threaten to buy a Mac because he is so determined to get off of Windows. But just let me tell you, man, it is so worth it. When Once you get the keyboard shortcuts down, they are so intuitive. It's absolutely worth switching to Mac, in my opinion. Anyway, even though it's expensive. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but also to take action so that you can live your best life. Guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. 
And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making those better financial decisions easily pays for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. What that means is he's not here to sell you a product, but instead to guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you are probably facing, and he interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. You can also learn even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Social engineering is defined as the use of psychological tactics to manipulate individuals into divulging confidential information or performing actions that may compromise their organization's security. Social engineering attacks often target the weakest link in an organization, which, unsurprisingly, is the employees. They're basically looking for easy access into the system. Yeah, and the weakest link is usually people, either the people that engineered the system or the actual people that are using it. And it's important to have a firm grasp of social engineering as software developers, since we are in a unique position to create security systems and protocols that are resistant to social engineering attacks. By understanding these attacks, developers can build systems that better protect against them. Also would add, we are a big target. Yeah. So understanding these is key to avoiding them. In the episode, we're going to discuss sort of an overview of different techniques used in social engineering, including phishing, impersonation, baiting, pretexting. And these are broken down into a couple of different categories of social engineering. So to start off, we're going to talk about the types of social engineering. Basically, these social engineering scams can be classified into one of two groups. They are either technical or physical social engineering. All right, so technical social engineering is the use of technical means. This is stuff like malware, network exploits, those kind of things to perform social engineering attacks. So you use the malware or whatever to basically get that loaded in the system and then you Mm -hmm. use the social engineering after the fact. Right. Yeah, some examples uh, of technical social engineering include things like phishing emails with malicious attachments watering hole attacks and man in the middle attacks. Yeah. And we'll get into kind of what some of those are a little bit more later. And physical social engineering is the use of physical means such as impersonation or baiting to perform social engineering attacks. Yeah. And these include things like USB drives that you find laying on the ground, uh, CEO fraud, uh, customer technical support fraud, that sort of thing. Yeah, so like when you get the call uh, that Microsoft has detected a virus on your computer and, you know, we need to, you know, use log me in and get on your machine and do stuff. Um, that's a social engineering scam that is very, very common. And, you know, I've also seen the ones with the CEO fraud. I worked at a company where people were trying to get me to, you know, send sensitive data. And I sent the CEO a message. I'm like, hey, I know this isn't you because uh, your spelling's better. And he laughed. He's like, the entire company's got one of these. No. So first thing is phishing scams. And if you're not familiar with the term, this is uh, phishing with a PH, like the band. 
trying to see if Will like recognizes yeah. that reference. All yeah, right. I get the All reference right. actually. Yeah, so phishing is an electronic form of social engineering that aims to trick individuals into revealing confidential information or to install malicious software. Yeah, these can include things like email, text messages, phone, and website scams. I mean, a lot of times are used to target older people. Uh, just what I've noticed, especially ones who like... Especially the phone scams. Yeah, the, the phone scams. Because like I, I'm constantly hearing from my mom about, I got this text message. Just delete it. Yeah. She's learned not to answer the phone unless it's someone she knows. But yeah. At first, she was like, I need to answer the phone. I was like, no, it's all right. She's like, what if it's my doctor's office? Like, They'll leave you a message and you can call them back. Yeah, and you need to verify that whoever that message is from is actually your doctor, so you need to actually call the doctor. Yeah. You know, that's right. that's how you short-circuit a lot of this stuff. And, I mean, you remember back in the day, there were, I mean, there were fax machine scams. I remember those. Oh, I remember those, yeah. And letter-based scams, which mm -hmm. I, I'm like, why in the world would you send anything like that through the Postal Service? Because they track all the things. Yeah. Out of all the know. things to do, that is not a good one, but... uh yeah, it's 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 really common, um, and it has been for a very very long time. Now, when they target software developers, it tends to be a little bit more sophisticated because they try to get us to exploit our access to sensitive information or to trick us into installing malware. And bear in mind, because of things like supply chain attacks, this gets very much more interesting. Yeah, uh, especially for us. And it, I mean, it's. It's used by hackers and it's used by corporate espionage. I mean, there's Governments. a lot. Yeah. There's going to be more governmental stuff. Well, I would say since, let's say, mid to late February last year and going yeah. forward for the indeterminate future, there's going to be a lot more from governments. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. So some best practices to kind of avoid falling for a phishing scam Include things such as verifying the sender of an email. That's one thing I always do is like I look at the from. Yeah. Sometimes I just look at the two because I'm like, you're you weren't smart enough to not send this out, like to not use CC everybody. CC. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like it it shows all the people that they sent it to. And I'm like, all right, yeah, that's a scam. Well, actually, I read a thing um a while back, you know, there's a lot of spelling errors and there's a lot of really dumb stuff like that. That, that makes it obvious. And people are like, why do they keep screwing this up? You know, because you would think if you're not necessarily a well-old criminal machine, but just like a not terrible one that you would get this right. But there's actually a value in that because the people that will catch that stuff and call you out, it immediately filters them out of your your funnel. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sort of like, there used to be scams back in the day, like in the newspaper. I guess there probably still are. Where it was like work from home, you know, back when that was not a thing. Like I'm talking like 1992. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. I know the ones you're talking about. Or like yeah. you know, they, they, I still get emails with some of those types of things. Yeah, but you know, one of the things that they always tried to push was getting something for nothing or getting something for very low effort. Well, people that don't want something for very low effort are pretty much immune to that scam, and it works great for filtering those people out because those are the people that are going to go to the law enforcement people. Yeah. So it's it's almost like they have a reverse funnel, you know, a reverse marketing funnel to get rid of the people they don't want who can cause problems. Yeah. A few other things involve avoiding clicking on uh, 
links or downloading attachments if you're not sure of the sender or you didn't request it. One thing that I, I have told my mom to do, and this is what I do too, is if I get an email from, let's say, Amazon, because I do I order a lot of stuff and I get a lot of emails from them. So let's say I get an email from Amazon and they've done a good job of making it look legit. Right. I won't click on the link in the email. Even if it's literally, I ordered something five seconds ago and the confirmation email comes up. I don't click on the link in the email. Yeah, go to Amazon and confirm it. I go to Amazon myself and confirm it. Yeah. Uh, same with Ticket. Ticketmaster's really bad about this. They're bad about a lot of things. Yeah, well, I'm not the biggest fan of Live Nation, but you know, I, I do think they're a monopoly. But anyway, and not the fun kind. Did you see, I saw today that we're getting a Nashville monopoly. A Nashville monopoly. Yeah, I thought we already had one, but whatever. Okay. But Murfreesboro has one. I, I don't know what the big deal about Nashville getting one is, but I don't know. It was on the news. Must have been a slow news day. I only watch the news when I'm at the gym, so yeah. I can't hear it. I just see it. Anyway, but yeah. And obviously, anytime someone asks you for sensitive information, don't trust it. Yeah. And, and this is something, by the way, a lot of people are about to get very vulnerable to because of changing jobs. With yeah. all the downsizing and outsourcing and everything going on right now, you've got to be very, very careful because you know, there are spammers sending stuff out going, oh, you know, hey, send me your passport photo and da-da-da-da for the position. And yeah. if you're not paying attention, hey, you're stressed out trying to keep your house, you can get some identity theft in there very quickly. No. Oh, so I've been doing some some contract work on the side, just building some websites. And uh, one of the places I've been doing a lot of a, a big project for contacted me about uh, getting my social security number for 1099. And I, the way they did it was great. The, the contact that I've had with them sent me an email and said, hey, you know, we're going to be reaching out to you via phone. This is the person who's going to call you asking for this information. It like, you know, and the nice thing is I, I did know the person who was going to be calling. So I recognized her voice when she called me and I was like, you know, Hey, and that was fine. But she actually, before calling, sent me a text saying, Hey, is now a good time to call you about this? So it was like a lot of communication about that. And it's something a scam, a low effort scammer is not going to pull off. Right. And also this is, I didn't think about this, but that this is a, a time of year that that is going to happen with tax season in the United States, at least coming up is people will be doing that or, or getting into people's mailboxes and grabbing stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's got all those, all that sensitive data that you have to send to the IRS at a certain time every year and everybody puts it off to the last minute. Yep. Yep. So the, uh, the next group of scams are impersonation scams. We've kind of hinted at these already a little bit, but uh, an impersonation scam is a social engineering attack where the attacker poses as a trusted individual or organization to obtain sensitive information or perform unauthorized actions. And you can see how like these kind of tie together where some of the phishing scams kind of involve some impersonation. Yeah. And an example of or examples of impersonation scams include things like CEO fraud, customer support fraud, and technical support fraud. So 
the Microsoft calls, for instance, that I mentioned earlier are a good example of that. But you'll also see things where they'll find out that the CEO is out of town and they'll call the CFO or send a text message making it look like yeah. it's from the CEO going, hey, transfer this money to this account because we got this new, you know, whatever going on. It's already approved by the board and they transfer a million dollars and it wasn't the CEO. And that's happening a lot. Oh, yeah, I can believe that, especially the way people post stuff on on social media and things. I know, and it doesn't have to be the person. Like the yeah. CEO may not post it, but their wife might, or their kid the wife might, or the kid. Yeah, uh, I know. I have I have a friend who would not let his daughters. They're all grown now, but when they were teenagers, he was like, "You don't post when we go on vacation." Yeah, same here. Like, take take your photos all you want. When you get back, post everything. That's perfectly fine, but but you don't post while we're on vacation. Personally, I don't mind doing that because I have a house sitter who's staying at the house while I'm gone. So, yeah, well, like yeah. when my wife, my daughter go on vacation uh, with my in-laws, you know, they'll they'll post pictures and stuff from the beach. But I'm like, yeah, OK, well, you, you found out what I'm not here, but, you're, you know, you're going to break in here and find a grumpy redneck who's been eating curry for four days. So good luck. Yeah, my 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 house sitter, she's she's small, but she's feisty. That's all I'm going to say about her. And girls from Woodbury, I mean. Oh, yeah. You don't mess with them. It's like girls up on the mountain. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I I have no worries about anyone breaking into my house because. You want to be on the friendly side there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Put it this way. There there are no bears on the mountain or in Woodbury, and it's probably the locals that ran them out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. So impersonation scams can target software developers by exploiting their trust in their colleagues or superiors or by posing as a trusted technical support team. It's like you were saying earlier about if someone had given you a script for figuring out the Linux stuff, like you you were temp- you would have been tempted at least. I don't know. Yeah, you I would you know, it. I mean I'm I'm pretty careful about stuff like that. One because I'm not sure I could get it back like it was, even if they, if it wasn't malicious, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I, you know, I go through and I'm like, okay, what does this executable do? What does this param do? You know, I'm like looking through the man pages and all that stuff. But I'll also tell you something on developers that I think would be a really effective tech support scam that people so far, I haven't seen them do. There's so many people working remote, right? And yeah. a lot of folks don't really participate in meetings much. And then you've got things that can fake voices, Right. So a, a great insider attack would be recording, you know, getting a meeting recording, using that as the source input for something that generates a fake call from a junior developer. Going, I don't know how to do this one thing. Can you show me, you know, can you just do this? It's a big problem. And, and you could probably talk a senior dev into it, especially either if the junior dev sounds pitiful or sounds incompetent. There's a big chunk of senior devs that do that. Yeah, that's true. Just yeah, saying. You get a lot of, a lot of information from about a company's infrastructure that way. Yeah, you, you really could. And I guarantee you there is some senior dev who is sitting in traffic right now listening to this who has a very uncomfortable feeling in the pit of their stomach because they probably have answered a phone call and it was from a junior dev, not from a fake, but they did nothing to authenticate it. Yeah, I do like the the messaging systems. Like That is one of the decent things about Teams. I won't use the word good because I refuse to use that in association with the Microsoft product, but um, it's good at it's good at 
memory management for its own benefit. <laughs> it's not nearly as crappy as it could be. <laughs> like the like the backhanded compliments my grandmother would give my mother all the time and just like completely tick her off. You know, that couch doesn't clash with the rug nearly as much as this chair. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes. That makes sense. Uh, but uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, you knew all the people in that conversation, so yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just keeping my mouth shut. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Best practices to avoid falling for impersonation scams include verifying the identity of individuals making requests, not providing sensitive information over email or phone, and being cautious of unsolicited requests. I'd also tell you that even if you have verified they are who they say they are, don't do anything over email or text, especially because those are durable. And they get saved. And if their email gets breached through some other mechanism, it's sitting there. Just just as an aside. Yeah, we have rules about what can and can't be uh, sent through email and text, which we'll, we'll get into talking about some of that uh, at the end when we talk about the importance of employee training. I did see one where some guys did um, a canary setup. And so they actually sent fake information through to each other's email and how to do stuff and all the server names were wrong and they configured it where it would it would fire off an alert with their DNS server because that server didn't exist to let somebody know hey this has been breached yeah basically that's actually smart it could be a canary or a honeypot I think that would be a canary because it dies canary. when the mine is full of gas because a honeypot would be like hey we're trying to attract them in there this is more just like hey we need to know that they went there yeah, yeah, that's that that makes sense. I mean, I I got well, I mean, I guess it, it would be a honeypot if they did that and then like if they were trying to search out if there was like an inside job going on. Yeah. And they they made it easy like low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Like early on in my career, one thing I did is I would write fake passwords down like I would use like keypass or something and generate some passwords and write them down yeah. in a post-it note, put them in a drawer. <laughs> And they didn't go anywhere. Yeah. But I was told by the compliance people that they didn't like that very much. It's like, but it's better than, okay, whatever. Y'all do you. All right. Well, I mean, whatever. That that works, I guess. I just wanted them to lock themselves out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. <laughs> so the next set of scams is baiting scams. Now, a baiting scam is a social engineering attack where the attacker leaves a physical object, such as a USB drive, in a public place with the hope that someone will take it and insert it into their computer, thereby compromising their system. So this isn't an example of a, a baiting scam, but it's an example of like very cautious developers at my first job one of our stakeholders was really like really pleased with the first iteration of the app that we were building. So he's not a really technical person, but he wanted to do something nice for us. So he went out and got us like, he knows we're all kind of like a little nerdy. So he got us these like USB lights. You plug in, you can like move it around to, to light yeah. stuff up. It's, kind of, it's, it's a really cool I little one of those. One point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're they're actually quite nice when you got to like get under your desk and stuff and you can plug it in. But uh it just appeared on our desks because yeah, because um, he wasn't thinking he, he didn't want to make a big fanfare about it. He was just wanted to show appreciation 
And most of us threw them away. Yeah. And you got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Until our product owner came up to us and was like, hey, what do you guys think about the, the thing that the stakeholder got us? And I was like, what? And the UI developer sitting behind me, he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. And we're like, we threw those away because they just randomly showed up on our desks. We didn't know what they were. They looked like a, you know, like a scam. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, the thing about it is, is, you know, heck, you may not be the one that plugs it in. Right. right. The, the cleaning lady could plug it in. Oh, here's mm-hmm. a light. I need to see if there, there's, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. So you want to get it away from your machine. Right. Right. And so when she told us that, I was like, oh, okay. So six, eight months later, same guy, when we had finished the product, he, uh, he again got us something that plugs into the computer. But this time, he made sure to hand it to us personally as a thank you. I'm like, yeah, that's probably smarter. Well, and you know how many people you see, like they'll plug in a you know, USB charger somewhere, just some mm-hmm. random location. It's like, man. Yeah. I'm not doing that. That's just seems like a great way to get absolutely nailed. I mean, I know a lot of devices now will actually say, okay, this only takes the charge. There's no data going back and forth. Yeah, but you don't know if there's a zero day or something. I mean, and another thing they could do is actually just, you know, hook it up to main power. (laughs) You know, like they don't have to like send data. They can just send current. So, you know, again, the USB drives... Uh, CDs, fake gift cards, QR codes for free stuff. Sometimes too, you'll see, see those kind of things floating around. Baiting scams can target software developers by exploiting their curiosity or their desire for free items. I've seen behavior at conferences where I'm like, yeah, half the people here can get owned. Yeah, I was, that's exactly what I was thinking about was conferences because I'm like, like, I see the stuff they give out and it's kind of cool. And you and I have had conversations about this because we looked at getting some different stuff and we're like, yeah, we're not going to do that because it just has potential to look sketch. And it's like, we don't want to encourage that behavior. Right. Yeah. And you know, honestly, how do you, how do you as a person giving it know that some conference attendee isn't going to take those USB devices and mess with them and leave them laying around and you get blamed for it. Right. That's exactly what we decided. Why we decided not to do that. Because we were well, we we're looking at like some like two hundred gigabyte or not two hundred gigabyte two gigabyte ones back when yeah, that was a it lot. Was, it was it was a while back. I can't remember, and they were fairly inexpensive. I don't know if they were going to be prizes. I don't think they were going to be raffle prizes. I think they were. Gonna no, they be were the, they were going to be branded because we were going to yeah. get a bunch of them cheap. So we we're just going to brand them and give them away. But we decided to go with something else because I think we went with koozies instead. Yeah, which I still have some of those. I do too. Yeah. And the little, little covers for your laptop camera. I do not have any of those. Yeah, I have some somewhere around here. But yeah. Best practices to avoid falling for baiting scams include things like not inserting unknown or suspicious items into your computer and being cautious of unsolicited gifts or offers. Yeah, beware of geeks bearing gifts. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's like an old one yeah, as opposed to Greeks, you know, the whole Trojan horse thing. So another type of scam that you'll see is called a pretexting scam. And a pretexting scam is a social engineering attack in which the attacker creates a false scenario or situation to gain access to sensitive information. 
Yeah. This is like the uh, the intro, or not intro, but I guess the teaser we did at the beginning where, uh, where I faked being someone yeah. like in a panic. These also can include stuff like uh, fake survey scams, lost wallet, and then the emergency scam. I mean, the lost wallet scam is really kind of annoying. It's really tricky. Yeah, because they're just like, oh, I don't have my identification or there's a lot of different things you can actually do with these kind of setups. You know, you can pretend to be somebody who's an employee in some, especially like new employees. So there's really just a lot of, there's a lot of stuff here. And honestly, I don't feel like most of the breaches really use this as well as they could. When I think of pretexting, do you remember, this was one of the movies that I just loved because not because of the uh, the computer stuff, but because of the culture. Do you remember the movie Hackers? Yeah, vaguely. I mean, that so captured the late 90s culture. Like, it, it really did. But the computer stuff was... I mean, it'd be cool if computers worked that way, but it was it was kind of messed up. Not, not exactly uh, realistic. Anyway, in it, one of the guys has an eidetic memory. And if you're not familiar with the term, that is, it's, a lot of people call it photographic. It's not exactly photographic, but it's just like they remember everything that they see. And so he goes in as a delivery guy to this company, and they're just trying to get some low-level passwords to get into the system to do rights escalation to get up. But, uh, and so they're just trying to collect as many as they can to basically get an army of people to pretty much DDoS the system back before that was really a thing. And so he just goes in and he's just like carrying this delivery stuff and he's just watching people enter their passwords, just filing them away, filing them away, filing them away. Of course, I also remember the, uh, was it the CEO's password was God? It's like, like, I remember watching that back then going, how in the world can you only have a three-character password? Like, even back then, that wasn't a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you could actually change the settings and a lot of stuff and allow it. But even, yeah, they were they were like, don't do this. But I'm, I'm just like, I, I'm I'm like the, the security guy in the movie is like fussing at her for that. And it, I'm like, dude, why didn't you just make it so she couldn't enter that as a password? Yeah, and then blame the computer. That's what we all do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. I don't understand like what your what your issue is there, man. But uh, yeah, that. I, I mean, I I worked at a company for a while where the password that the dude would always put on people's routers when he set them up was his name, all lowercase, so that he could no. get in, you know, wherever he had to get in to fix things. And you know, this was back before there was really good remote management and all that kind of stuff. So it, like, it didn't make sense, but it. It was understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, pretexting scams can target software developers by exploiting their empathy or sense of obligation. So, hey, the system's about to fall over. I've got to get this thing fixed or, you know, millions of RabbitMQ messages will be lost. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's playing on the human nature. Or can you recover the contents of my, my disk drive because it's got my doctoral dissertation? I know I'm not supposed to be using company you know, computer equipment for it, but can you... Yeah. And they plug it yeah. into their machine and they get owned. Yeah. Yeah, that that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's... And the way you fix that is you have no empathy or sense of obligation and then you're fine. That's what I was getting at. I was trying to think of the best way to say it, but Will just like threw it out there like that. I was like, 
you do have to check it. You you have to watch yourself and you can be polite to them and still follow the rules. Like you can say, Hey, I, I understand and I've got a I've got a system at home. I can I can plug that into that, you know, if you have one, if you have like a I have a Raspberry Pi that I plug stuff into because if yeah. like it's not connected to anything else and not on any network. So and if, and if you know, if the thing does get hacked, I've got thermite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you if you hack my Raspberry Pi, it's just like this little micro SD card. I can replace that for the the memory there. So, you know, I mean, you have to it'd be difficult to really like hack hack that thing, I think. I don't know. Maybe not. I could probably look it up, but I'm sure there's ways or something. I, you know, but like honestly at this point looking at the pricing, I think they'd do better just to steal it. Yeah, I know, right? Like I'm going to hack it. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> you kidding me? I don't want to control yeah. it from here. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I have one of those that if it's like, all right, someone wants me to, to do that, I'll, I'll plug it in there and I'll check things out first. But I got, I mean, I know our security guy at work had this massive system that was literally for doing that. Uh, this was my last job, but like, like if someone got caught with something on their their hard drive or something like that, I the stuff he told me, and he didn't even go into detail about anything. He was just like very general in what he said he had to uh, to go through. I'm like, yeah, I never want to do that ever. Yeah, I like zero desire to ever do that job because of that. Yeah, so I've I've heard some pretty shocking stories too. So best practices to avoid these sort of pretexting scams beyond just not having any empathy is being cautious with any requests coming in, absolutely verifying the identity and still not always trusting that. Like we were talking about earlier about not sending stuff over email, even once you've verified the identity. Well, it's the same thing as you do on a web server, right? You're cautious of unsolicited or incoming requests, all of them. You verify the user and you don't send sensitive data out over a unprotected channel. Right. So it's really important to train employees on this. I know everybody has to go through these trainings like once a year in most companies. You can't even get out of it if you can show them that, hey, I've done multiple OWASP top 10 episodes for my podcast. Here's all the content. (laughs) You know, like I've probably read about it as much as you have. You still can't get out of it. When you're like, I could write these trainings yeah. You still have to go through them. Be be very careful saying that because it, if you say that to the wrong person, you will write the training. Will knows. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm much more dodgy than that. I just almost got roped into it once. But <laughs> um, it is important to train people. And the reason is, is you kind of want to beat this into their head on a regular basis because social engineering attacks often target the weakest link in the organization, which is usually the employees. Yeah. Sometimes it's yeah. the customers, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, it can target the customers, but the the employees are going to have access to multiple customers, whereas a customer will likely only have access to their data. Right. Should only have access to their data. Yeah, well, if they don't, if they have access to more than their data, y'all got other issues. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, there's also kind of a standardization of systems, right? We've got a certain expected level of security that is just kind of civilizational at this point. It's yeah. like it's like using tools with high precision for situations where they don't 
where you're making something that doesn't need high precision, it's still going to be highly precise because that's what your tools do. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The thing is, guys, by educating employees on how to recognize and avoid these types of attacks, uh, they can serve as sort of a first line of defense against social engineering. Your employees are your first line. Your systems are your second line. And, yeah. and things physical like security that. is the third line. I mean, you know, yeah, you, you just, you kind of want to have defense in depth on everything, everywhere. And, you know, your training for this really needs to include hands-on practical exercises and kind of simulated attacks to help employees better understand the threat and develop the skills needed to defend against them. So I, I worked at a company that did like fake phishing emails they, they'd send to us. And the thing that got me on those was that they never even tempted me because it was always something that like assumed I had a life. There's like, oh, your Netflix account has been been hacked. And I'm like, I don't have one. You know, and if I did, I wouldn't put it on my company, uh, you know, email account, bro. But it is still good to do that just so that, you know, people get used to looking for those things and they'll look for it on their own stuff. And then they won't bring bad stuff in from outside too. Yeah, we, we do the same thing with the, but it's, it's a little bit trickier because it does get people sometimes because it's more, more work related. But, uh, yeah, I only clicked on it once because I knew it was the the test thing and I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> yeah, that's don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. But yeah, regular awareness programs uh, can be used to maintain a culture of security and basically help create the shared responsibility amongst everyone, not just developers, but all employees. Yeah, and I've worked at a few places too where, you know, we kind of had informal methods of stuff like that. So if not really for social engineering type attacks, but more for like physical security. So if you left your workstation unlocked, you would have a shirtless David Hasselhoff picture as your desktop background when you returned. Well, well, until somebody did it to a senior VP and they were doing a presentation that was in a company wide and that didn't go over as well as we would have liked. So that stopped. But it, it was a, it was a good way to promote people being attentive to whether their workstation was unprotected when they got up. Yeah. Except for that one girl <laughs> you know, who wanted a different picture from last time. Yeah. You ever uh, do a thing where you, you flip their monitor or you flip the screen so it's it's upside down. Uh, take a screen cap of their screen. Oh, I've done that one. That's a great. Hide all the icons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually did a thing in Visual Basic so my dad could control my uncle's computer and like take a screen cap, flip it upside down, and popped up with a fake upside down message box that says Windows has detected that your video card was installed upside down, and he broke his his uh, computer keyboard. Thankfully, I guess that's where he thought the CPU was. But <laughs> 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 you know. My dad was laughing. He was like, yeah, he goes, we might not have thought that one through too well. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That one's good. Yeah, they used to be, I don't know if it's still on Windows, but I think it was Windows 7. It was still on there. And it was like on XP and yeah, and stuff. And like the 90s ones where there's like a, there's some hotkeys you could do to like rotate the monitor. Yeah, I think those are still or ro- there. Rotate the screen. Yeah. 
and that we used to do that because it's it was real easy if someone even if they just got up to go to the bathroom and they left it up there you could just hit those and go back or to they your turn seat. their back and they're talking <laughs> okay i didn't do it that much like but yeah <laughs> we, we used well, to break each other <laughs> a lot so all right guys social engineering is a serious threat to software developers as we're often targeted because of our access to sensitive information and our technical knowledge. It's important to really be aware of the different types of social engineering attacks uh, that we've discussed, such as phishing, impersonation, baiting, and pretexting. This is not really an exhaustive list, as social engineers are always coming up with new ways to access things that they shouldn't. It's sort of an ever-going battle between the the good and the bad, I guess. I don't know. Between the predators and the prey. Yeah. I and it makes the prey stronger too. Let's go predators. Yeah, we are in Nashville. Yeah. That's, that's our mean, hockey team, by the way. We're not we're 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 not recording next week because it's my birthday and I'm going to a predators game for my birthday. Woohoo. Actually my birthday's Friday, but my friend and I are going on Tuesday. Anyway, so all that said, use this information, especially the best practices that we discussed, to help reduce the risk of falling victim to a social engineering attack. Guys, that's pretty much all we've got. We will catch you all next week. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.